May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So now we probably about four feet tall. How old I am at that age. Just that's a that's an important detail in this story. Five, six years old, we were at the beach. And I remember walking in the surf with uh, several other people that I was at the beach with, family, friends, one of which was a lot of hero worship here. Probably a 13 and a 14 year old, so he was taller than me. He was probably five and a half, six feet tall or something like that. But wanting to play with the big boys, I kept going out with them. And at four feet tall and three feet of water, the water was about right here, and I kept walking out. This is near Galveston in Texas. And walking in the surf near Daryl, uh, who was a clear two, two and a half feet free of the, the surf as the water would come a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. Uh, we walked and we walked and we walked until I fell into a hole. And in that moment, it was probably a half second, maybe two seconds, I mean really, just a blink of an eye. But I remember, it was as if I would found a hole that was going to go to China. And I was all the way in. And it was tear. It was almost as close to thing to tear as I've known in some ways my whole life. I really thought I was going to drown. I didn't have, I didn't like swimming. I had tubes in my ears. I never was comfortable around water. And all of my fears in that split second, which had a timelessness to it, were right there. And of course, what happened? Well, I'm standing here, so you know the story turned out okay. It was only a half second, maybe two seconds. Daryl reached down and he pulled me out. Because of course he's standing right there. It was probably six inches uh, of a little indention with the undertow carved it out. But he pulled me up and his words, his words delivered the very thing which it spoke. And he said, Gil, it's okay. I've got you. You can stand now. Gil, it's okay. I've got you. You can stand now. The words delivered the things which were spoken. We're starting a series this morning, uh, tonight in Isaiah. This is one of the servant psalms of Isaiah, Isaiah 42. Just to hear these words one more time, Isaiah 42, just the first part, 1 through 4. Um, Behold my servant. So we're going to ask, who is this servant? Behold my servant, whom I uphold, the Lord is speaking. The Lord holding, upholding, a firm grasp is the word that has me. Who I have in my firm grasp, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. Three times in four verses, we have this emphasis on justice. The first thing we ask, who is this servant? Or well, whatever he is, he brings justice. He makes things right. What is justice but the making things that are wrong right? Putting all things in their proper order, in their proper rule. That's the work of a ruler. The work of a ruler, we're realizing the servant is a ruler, a lord, the lord. And yet, he's not the lord in the traditional way that we think of it. 
for the Lord will come, the servant will come and set things aright. But what does he not do? He does not cry aloud uh, or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. The illusion there is one that is not easy to catch, but he's comparing it to other kings and rulers that have come before in the prophecies that make a lot of noise and draw a lot of attention to themselves in the streets, clamoring for self-validation. I'm the king, I'm the ruler, listen to me. This servant exercises all the authority of a real ruler. He brings justice three times in four verses, and yet without exercising any of the typical or traditional power structures. So who is this servant? Of course, we who have read the book, we who know the end of the story, even hearing it today in our gospel, we know the ruler is the king of kings and the lord of lords, the Lord himself. For the words here in Psalm 42, Behold, hear, look, my servant, whom I uphold, do I grasp firmly, my chosen in whom my soul delights. These are the words which at Christ's baptism and also in his transfiguration, there was the actual voice from heaven which spoke these words, fulfilling and therefore identifying the prophecy as falling upon Christ the Lord. Behold, this is my Son, with whom I am well pleased, with whom my soul delights. And at the transfiguration, Matthew would add, Listen to him. And that will be important in a moment. But now what we have is clearly the identification of the servant as Christ himself. And what do we know? He's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings without exercising that ruling authority, that lordship authority in any way that's typical or any way that's expected. So from this outset, we then begin to ask, how? How in the world does he do this lording and this ruling? We see this in verse 3. A bruised reed, such great words here. A bruised reed, he will not break. A faintly burning wick, he will not quench. Again, he will faithfully bring forth justice. What is this, this bruised reed, this faintly burning wick? Um, Matthew also uses this whole passage here, I believe it's in Matthew 12. Um, this bruised reed, this faintly burning wick, we find a little bit of how Christ exercises his rule, his authority, his lordship in all the untraditional ways. By who he's attracted to? This is good news. He's attracted to the hopeless cases, to the bruised reeds, to the faintly burning wicks, the smoldering wicks. What's this image of bruised reed? You know, I'm out of my lane here, but often people who know what they're doing put up beautiful flowers in Finland Commons. Some of the ones that always draw my eye are the long stemmed lilies, you know, the really long stems with the white flowered tops. And as soon as you take the stalk, and if you squeezed it or it fell and it broke, it's a bruised tree. It's a bruised stalk. What's this word bruised? Another funny story when I was a kid walking around junior high. This is just what junior high boys do like this. 
For about probably a week, we'd walk around with a circle like this. And if you looked, well, you got hit. You know, that's just what boys do. You got hit in the arm. Oh, it made you look. You know, that sort of thing. We clunked each other in the arm. We bruised each other in the arm. That's exactly not what this word means. A bruise, a bruised reed, a deep contusion in the very structure of the stalk. To the outside, you might study it and say, there's nothing wrong with it. This part of the stalk doesn't look any different than this part down here. And yet you know that it's fallen over. A bruised reed, a piece of wheat that has a bruised stalk. It's now a useless piece of wheat. It won't grow anymore. It won't produce wheat. Uh, a, a lily has a bruised stalk. It flops over. You can't use it anymore. You might be able to cut it. But it's useless. It's no longer doing what it's supposed to do. Or a smoldering wick, one that's just barely hanging on, uh, that's just almost out. We would lose the, the importance of this. We just turn on lights off and on. But the very source of light when the smoldering wick is there and it's so gentle, its usefulness is at its very, very end. Well, this is, again, the servant with whom God is well pleased, who exercises all the rule and the authority in no way that we would expect. And we come around and we find out who is he attracted to? Who is he attracted to? To bruised reeds, to smoldering wicks, to those who on the outside might look Okay, but on the inside, so deeply broken, so deeply contused with a fatal wound that they're no longer able to do what they were created to do. And this is one of the remarkable things about this passage. Why, for centuries now, it's in fact meant uh, probably more to people who have struggled with despondency and hopelessness and depression than any other. I won't say that, than many other parts of Scripture. I would dare say that many of us might resonate with that. A bruised reed or a smoldering wick. Where on the outside, I may look okay, but on the inside, I have a fatal wound. I'm not able to do what I once did. I'm not able to fulfill the purpose that I was once able to fulfill. I'm barely holding on. I'm sputtering light, but it's smoldering and it's going out. And really explained. The burnout, if it's not here, it's near. And the bruise, it's deep and it's severe. So this servant who draws this enigma, who is this man? That even the winds and the seas would obey him, who is drawn in to bruised reeds and the smoldering wicks, to people who from the outside seem normal, but all is not as it seems. Who is this? Well, in verse 4, we begin to see a little bit more. This is where the English gets a little bit difficult um, because it doesn't quite convey the, the, the punch of what he's trying to say. Verse 4 says, He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice, till he makes things right to the ends of the earth. What does this mean? Well, the words here, you wouldn't know this unless you did some reading. I did some reading this week. I'm no Hebrew scholar. What do you think the word faint means? It means a smoldering wick. It's the same word. And what does the word discouraged mean? It means bruised. And so what's it saying? He, the servant, will not 
be a smoldering wick or be bruised until he's established justice on the earth. So what's it saying even beneath that? The very way that he will bring about justice on the earth is through bruising and then through being a smoldering wick. He will not be snuffed out. He will not be bruised until he's snuffed out and until he's bruised. The servant will experience the very same things this being bruised, this being crushed, this being snuffed out in order to bring about justice, to make things right, to make the things which seem on the outside okay, but on the inside not okay, to make them okay, to restore all things and all manner of things to that shalom, to that peace which goes far beyond something that's known as just the absence of conflict but something that's truly the way it was meant to be. The servant not only will stop, will, not only will being bruised not stop him from establishing justice, but the very bruising itself is for the healing of the nations. How do we know this? Well, where else do we hear this word bruise? Remember this little game that I played? It's the exact opposite of what the word bruise means. Where else do we hear this word bruise? All the way back to the beginning of our story, Genesis 3, after the apple was eaten, and before the curses were given to Adam and then to Eve, first the Lord curses the serpent. And it's sometimes called the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. The first utterance of this strange word where God preaches the gospel to the serpent. And how does he do it? In Genesis 3.15, it says, And he will crush your head, talking to the serpent, and you will bruise his heel. Bruise his heel. A deep contusion, which is a fatal blow to the very structure of the whole thing. And then taking that same word and moving further into Isaiah, which we'll hear later in the series, into the fourth psalm, the great suffering psalm of Isaiah 52 and 53, the word we normally hear is crushed is actually also the word bruised. He was bruised for our iniquities and pierced for our transgressions. Do you hear what's happening here? Christ is fulfilling the word. All that's being foretold from the very beginning of the story where a descendant of Eve, a daughter of Mary, will come and though you, serpent, will bruise his heel, he will crush your head. And then we find out exactly how that happens. That he himself, this servant, will crush, will be crushed, will be bruised for our iniquities. That by his stripes, his bruising, we are healed. Tim Keller creates a vivid scene when he speaks on this passage. Imagine if you're at a picnic, I suppose, with family and friends, and you're the one who sees it. It's a deadly snake coming amongst everybody. You don't have any time to do anything else except react. What do you do? What do you do? The snake's coming. All that you love are around. You go over and you step on the snake's head. But what happens? Almost certainly the snake will bruise your heel. Is that simple? Is that, is that no, nothing of consequence? No, it's, it's everything of consequence. It's exactly the image of Christ dying for us. 
the people whom he loves, as the snake comes among us, and he walks out and crushes his head, even as he bruises Christ's heel. For by his wounds we are healed, for our iniquities he was bruised. And this is the work of God. The servant came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So with all this in closing, what do we do? We are bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. Among many other things, too, come in first mind. I hope it says, well, maybe there's hope. Maybe there's hope for those who are bruised and smoldering. And if you're in a place where, you know, that's not me right now, well, I hope then we watch and we welcome the bruised and the smoldering among us to be a people of God who know his redemption and his hope. He says, you are most welcome here. But then more than that, what do we do? Well, captured in all of this, I think, I want to put out a little word seldom used. Or maybe it's just not used enough. And that's the word lament. A little crusade here. Bring the word lament back. Let's bring it back. What's a lament? Lament. We cry out to God our condition. What's true? What's actual? What's real? Where are we? These are the God. Where does God seem these are the me? It's Isaiah where we're spending some time. He's the one who declares, as if from our lips, surely you are a hidden God. But it's also Isaiah who declares through the mouth of God, my thoughts, God's thoughts, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. So as we think about this mystery of bruised reeds and spent wicks, we freely call suffering, suffering, pain, pain, dislocation, dislocation, fear, fear. And in freely calling a thing a thing, we begin to know what it is to limit. But to lament, where are you, God? How long? How long? Oh, Lord, I'm far and tired here. I've battled this despondency, this depression, my job, my family. I've been racked with insecurity for I can't count the days. Do you care anymore? The Psalms are helpful here. It's as if I'm being stretched down in a rack and all of my enemies can count my bones. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lament. Here I want to come back. Remember the words? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The interesting code. Listen to him. What are we listening for? Well, that's why I started with the story of my deliverance from terror as a five-year-old. Where I thought for sure this is it. In a half second, that timelessness of fear... The words delivered the very thing which was promised. Gil, you are okay. You are well. Stand. What is that? It's justice. Things were right again. I stood. And the words were right. I was well. And I could stand. And so friends, to bring back the lament... To hear the servant's words for us, delivering the promises which actually bring about the very thing which the words convey. 
The word Amen. It means truly, truly. When you hear that in the Gospels. It just means Amen, Amen. It means what is truly true, what is actually actual, what is really real. It means this I believe, this I faith with all of who I am. And it's a word for bruised reeds and for spent wits. Amen. When you can't pray anything else, pray Amen. Just say Amen. To say truly, I believe. And then if you'd like, say Amen to these words. Hear these words of God, these promises of God, these promises, these words which deliver the very thing which is being conveyed. Speak Amen with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Amen. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen. I am the Lord your God. Amen. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Amen. I am the Lord. I have called you. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I am the Lord. That is my name. Amen. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Amen. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the Lord, and to revive the heart of the contrite. Amen. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. Amen.